You know why uh, God made cops? No. Because firemen still need heroes. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Squad Room. It's going to be epic. You're going to learn a lot, I promise, on this one, because I learned a lot, too. Uh, not saying that I don't learn a lot on all the other ones. My mind is consistently blown. That's why I'm doing this. But I had a lot of fun on this episode, uh, because I learned about a topic that I already have, an interest in from a hobby level. Uh, and I learned some things that are going to help me get better at it. And I always like doing that. And I think if, uh, if you like, if you like cooking, then you're going to learn a lot of stuff. And if you hate to cook, you're going to learn a lot, a lot of stuff. Uh, hopefully some of the stuff is going to, uh, uh, improve your techniques, but also, uh, reduce that level of, uh, fear, frustration, intimidation when you step up to the stove or the grill or the oven. Uh, and it's going to be fantastic. So we'll get to that in a second. Couple, uh, housekeeping things first. Of course, uh, special thanks to CrossFit Pacific Coast, Traver Bohm and Eric Malzone over there. Go check them out at CrossFitPacificCoast.com if you're curious about their programming or their ethos and what they're doing. They've been, uh, with me side by side this entire way through this process. And we are, uh, many months in at this point. Uh, and, uh, follow us on Twitter or Instagram at the squad room. Uh, want to hear from you guys. I want to hear what you like, what you don't like, what you would like to, uh, have happen. Email me at squadroompodcast at gmail.com. But what I really want to emphasize is go to the squadroom.net, uh, www, and sign up for our newsletter. Uh, I uh, have uh, I send this stuff to you so you get it uh, in your inbox the minute uh, an episode is live. And we're going to be uh, really enhancing that uh, avenue or that uh, channel to use business speak uh, in the near future to really include and, and interact with that group a lot more to include uh, some contests, some uh, giveaways, some surveys, that sort of stuff so we can uh, learn more about you and serve you a little bit better. Uh, and when I, I say we a lot, but I still mean me. I don't have a team here. It's just me. But I guess I sound uh, more important when I use we. Anyway, go to the website and please sign up for the newsletter. If you're so inclined, you can leave an I, a review at iTunes as well. Uh, give us a five-star review and let everyone else know about it as well. Uh, this is going to be a fun episode because we do talk about cooking and meal prep and equipment and all the things that you need to know. Well, not everything you need to know, but a lot of the, the, the key things that you need to know that were hangups for me and learning how to cook or that I know are hangups for other people. Uh, our guest today is Joel Chapman. He's a professional chef. He's got some uh, legit credentials behind his name, uh, graduate of Le Cordon Bleu and Bleu, Le Cordon Bleu in uh, Paris, France, which is the preeminent cooking school in the world. Uh, so you know he knows what he's talking about. He uh, has a unique uh, position right now, too, where he's cooking for a large catering uh, division of um, food services at a, uni- a large university. So he's making a massive amount of meals a day. So he's able to talk about the meal prep and planning and scaling um, that goes into that. And that, and he also, of course, cooks at home and he meal preps at home. So he's got a lot of good tips uh, and tricks on how to prep ahead of time. Uh, and again, the equipment to use and that sort of stuff. So stay tuned uh, for Joel Chapman, professional chef. All right, Joel, thanks for being on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, we're back here in the professional recording studio. Uh, we have a mutual friend in Traver. Mm-hmm. Uh, who who introduced us because I asked him, um, I need to speak to someone who knows how to cook. And he yeah. said, I got the guy. Yep, that would be and me. you're that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, I know about you now because we've corresponded and, and uh, had some, some good correspondence. But can you tell everybody that's listening maybe your background um, and why you are the guy that knows how to cook? Sure. So I've always grown up in kitchens. Um, I studied at Le Cordon Bleu in Paris and spent three years in France cooking in restaurants and pastry uh, pastry shops. And while I was there, I couldn't get a work visa, so I worked as a private chef on a yacht um, in the south of France doing Monaco can. It was a pretty amazing experience. And then I came over to, um, came to Santa Barbara and started my own catering company, which didn't last, unfortunately. And then just got into uh, working out and road biking, and I met... Uh, Traver, our mutual friend through CrossFit, um, and started from there. Excellent. 
he's got stories of being on yachts as a private security guard or bodyguard yes. on the south of France. That's not where you guys uh, no. first connected? No, we actually connected through Toastmasters oh. of all places. Oh, okay. Uh, we were the youngest by about 20 years. <laughs> And so we had a mutual affinity for each other just off that. Just the fact that you both, yeah, yeah. could stand upright still? Exactly, basically. Not that, 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 that I guess I shouldn't be that mean. <laughs> it's not meant to be mean. Toastmasters is fine. Yeah, it's good. So uh, Le Cordon Bleu, that's pretty legit. I mean, yeah. there's like, it's that or Culinary Institute is kind of the right. American version, right, of right. that. But there's not a better school out there than Le Cordon Bleu in of all places, Paris. Right, yeah. So for me, I wanted to learn really at ground zero of where it all started from. I mean, if you have to talk to other chefs, that's definitely debatable. But, you know, Colin, if you think about food and learning to cook, everyone wants to go to France and have their experience there. Yeah. So, Did you work in restaurants as a growing up, or uh, um, what got you intrigued by that? Well, my mom was a nutritionist, so I was always her guinea pig. And so um, she was always making dishes that were um, inexpensive to make, but highly nutritious. Um, she worked for WIC. I don't know if it's women, infants, and oh, children. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, low income, so people you know with you know not a lot, not a lot of money. Um, so I would try. Cops. To, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Most of us here in Santa Barbara. <laughs> yeah, most of us. Yeah, anybody who lives in a zip code. <laughs> um, so I tried out, you know, you know, chocolate lentil cakes and anything that she would make, I would try. And so. Sorry, chocolate lentil cakes? Yes. Yes. Um, which I will not sounds. be giving the recipe for. I was going to say sounds nutritious. It is but, nutritious. But then there's chocolate. There is chocolate. I don't know. It's okay. Yeah. Um, and you're a bit of a chocolatier too, or is that just a, a, a um, something you you enjoy? I, I love chocolate, definitely. Yeah. Um, I don't do chocolate anymore. Um, Traver and I did have a business together making chocolates, um, but that fell through. Um, but yeah, anything chocolate, put it in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. You a dark chocolate or a milk chocolate guy? Dark chocolate. I guess we'll continue the podcast anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> I have this ongoing debate with my wife, uh, and apparently I'm on the losing side of it, uh-huh. that um, there's there's no such thing as good dark chocolate. And uh-huh. I am consistently informed by other people that I'm wrong. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. I guess I got to shut up and well, admit defeat. If you go to um, down to Cali Bresson, the chocolate shop, uh-huh. or Chocolate Maya... They've got tons of different chocolates. Maybe that's the place that'll expand my mind. Yeah, yeah. It becomes like wine after a while. There's different subtleties in different regions of the world where it comes from, mm-hmm. and you can taste like what they call the terroir of it. But interesting. I'll take you down sometime. We'll All right. Chocolate tasting. Can we go wine tasting afterwards? Yes. Excellent. All right, we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, you went through uh, Le Cordon Bleu, uh, which is obviously um, one of the best schools, and you came back here and in. Uh, Right now, you're cooking. What are, you, what are you doing right now? Right now, I'm actually helping the catering department at UCSB um, do their their thing there. Uh, we've got uh, you know, anywhere between 15 to 20 events per day. We you know, cook up to for about 20,000. It's not 20,000, excuse me, about 2,000 people. Um, it's kind of like room service for all of campus. Wow. And so I support the kitchen and also the front house, too. So my hand is kind of everywhere there. So when we get into the meal prep discussion, you're going to have some... Uh... Yeah. Some insight. I mean, I, I complain about making three meals a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's funny because when you get into catering, you realize that cooking for 10 and cooking for about 1,000 are relatively the same. It's just the amount of time you have. Hmm. So we'll All right. get into that later. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I, I wanted to have uh, you. So I I like to cook. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, uh, I think I'm good for, for me. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, I, I like how I cook, but it's because it's mine. Sure. My wife at least uh, feigns uh, um, enthusiasm for how I cook, um, probably because I'm willing to cook. And sure. I actually end up doing most of the meals in our house mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason. It's mm-hmm. just kind of how our uh, work division uh, ended up being. Sure. Uh, I'd rather I'd rather cook than do the laundry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thing, so I'll cook. And I've loved to grill or barbecue. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I know there's a difference. Uh, grill, uh, like growing up in high school mm-hmm. that was like i love to do that and my parents entertained me uh, with that and then but through college and uh those first couple of years out of school when you don't have any money i was uh I, I i never had an interest in it it was always you know hamburger helper or you know the pasta is a cheap stuff that's quick and fast that mm-hmm. college kids aren't interested in necessarily cooking sure it wasn't until i moved uh to california that um 
I took an interest in it because I was trying to lose weight, and so I had to take more control over what I was eating. Right. Um, and I had to learn how to cook things like salmon mm-hmm. and began playing with um, that and spices and all that. Uh, and then I learned that it was a good way to impress girls. Yes. And that it was a good way to have a dinner date and uh, cook for them. Mm-hmm. And then they thought you were uh, upscale. Yes. And as a 23-year-old, you know, in Los Angeles with the competitions heavy, you, you take that, you take whatever advantage <laughs> <Right>. you can get. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, and I, I will say, too, that I, I think that is, uh, though she probably want to admit it, one of my... One of our first dates I cooked for my now wife, and mm-hmm. uh, I think it worked. So, you know, proof. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of guys get into it either, uh, for that or out of necessity. Anyone who, uh, you know, didn't go straight from mom's uh, mom's house to marriage, who spent most mm-hmm. of their 20s like I did, uh, not married as a bachelor, had to uh, either eat out every night or figure out how to cook. Right. But a lot of right. trial and error. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my intent or my hope when talking uh, about this today is to maybe kind of skip a couple steps for some of the guys who are uh, looking at trying to lose weight, looking at trying to get better or healthier, are sick of the kind of dr- the drive through scene. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to meal prep, but they may not know where to start. And sure. they may not know. They might be intimidated by going into a sur la table mm-hmm. or um, your any, even just a Ross and looking at the kitchen section and thinking, well, sure. I don't know what kind of stuff to get. So if we can, maybe we can start with what, what would you say are some of the basic kitchen essentials uh sure. for and i know we're considering we, these are grown adults right so i mean they, i'm sure yeah. people understand you know knives and stuff like that but what mm-hmm. are some of the essentials of uh of, of having a good meal prep and cooking setup sure sure well definitely your knives and cutting boards are key and um making sure you have enough space to do all your cooking and having enough containers also like bowls um, spoons and for me when I prep, I make sure I have everything before I start because you don't want to go back and you know, skip a step. And like, oh, where's my spoon? I'll have to go over here. And you kind of lose momentum. Um, and having, for me, a, a cast iron pan is essential because you can put it not only on top of your oven, um, but also inside or even on your grill too. Hmm. Um, so and it's really versatile and it lasts forever um, if you keep them up. Yeah. Okay, so here's a question I have. Sure. You know, like lots of people, we got a knife set for Mm -hmm. our uh, wedding. Yeah. And there's like a there's a camp that says you can't sharpen them ever. They they you will ruin the knives. And another camp that says no, it's safe to sharpen them. What as a I imagine you can sharpen these. Oh yeah. They're not they're not chef grade knives. They're you know. They're probably like like Henkel's or Westhoff's. They're I mean it's a decent knife. A lot Mm -hmm. of guys in kitchens run with those. Um, They tend to be heavy. Um, so some guys try to go for lighter knives, but yeah, you need to sharpen them. Um, and there's usually a steel that comes with it and you, it's pre- probably best to go. I can't explain it on, you know, on a podcast, mm-hmm. but if you go to YouTube, how to use a steel, um, basically what happens when you're cooking, uh, when you're chopping your, um, your knife blade, the really fine line you can't see actually goes to the side. And so your knife becomes dull. And so what you're doing when you're using a steel, you're actually resetting that. So it's razor sharp. And just kind of resetting the metal mm-hmm. um, so it goes straight down as opposed to the side and and yeah and just a couple swipes on a steel will will set you straight um a lot of guys you know send their knives out maybe once a year to get re- the edge resharpened but these are guys who are doing like you know thousands of hours in kitchens so mm-hmm. in a home maybe every couple of years to get the um edge reset totally off topic but sure. since we're oh it's topic of knives but uh, chefs, oh, you, uh, your knives are like yours. Your, yes. They're like your baby. Yes. Right. And, and they go with you from, I mean, uh, you see the guys coming to work or going from work and they're leaving with their knife roll. I don't yes. know what that's called, yeah, but that's correct. Um, like they go home with them at the end of the night. Yeah. They come to them with yeah. work. Um, they're different for each chef. It's very, it's a very, um, personal and subjective thing, isn't it? It is. It is. Some people like, um, like drive like buying a car and you've got different grades different qualities different prices mm-hmm. but at the end of the day you know they're all going to cut and they're it's really what you're comfortable with um there's you know the aesthetic qualities of them if they're like a nice beautiful knife a lot of guys will never bring that to the kitchen because the pot washer will probably steal it um or use it to open up a can which mm-hmm. happens and that's why chefs we always like take our knives with us because if you leave them around some of them will use them for an inappropriate use mm-hmm. um 
which I've seen, and that's how fights happen. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you mentioned Henkels and was it Wisthoff? Yeah, Wisthoff. Mm-hmm. Any others like you could, that you could find at either Macy's or Bud Bath and Beyond yeah. that you would recommend? Um, Shoon's really good. They're they're really beautiful. They're really like, they're like handmade and hammers. They have really nice lines in them. Um, but like for a solid kitchen knife, I mean, you could go to Ross and get a nice you know nice one that has the blade that goes all the way through the handle, um, which is called the tang that goes mm-hmm. in the, you know in the handle. Um, and they're solid, you know. So most importantly, maybe that that tang. It's the one piece of metal, yeah, that goes into the handle from the blade itself. Yeah, uh, that's strong. Yeah, that's strong. And the thing is, the you know you can go to Surlatab or you know Williamson Sonoma and just go grab knives and test them out and see how they feel in your hand because they'll all have different uh, grips to them. Um, some are metal, some are wood, um, some are you know they're ergonomic, so they're maybe bulged on one side so it fits your hand better. Mm-hmm. It's really just personal preference and what's comfortable. And especially for chefs, like we know we're going to have this in our hands for many, many hours. So what's the most um, efficient way to hold this thing, and what's going to be the most comfortable? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we're looking for. And can you sharpen? You can't sharpen steak knives though. Um, if they're serrated, yeah, no, you can't. Or like a bread knife is serrated too, right? Um, it can be. It yeah. can be. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned containers. Um, do you notice or ever f- a difference between glass or like Tupperware or uh, anything like that? Not really. I mean, definitely like Tupperware for you know if I'm going to take it you know out with me or something. Mm-hmm. But if I'm just prepping around, just bowls are fine. So I have a, a place to put in um, like what I'm chopping, like onions or peppers. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to keep my cutting board clear so that I can do my next my next process. You mentioned having everything ready to go beforehand. Uh, uh, your, your, does that mean just your equipment, or do you do? It's called what, mise en place. Yeah, mise en place. Yeah, exactly. Mise en place. Mise en place. Yeah. Okay. See, so, yeah, I didn't do so well in, in high school French. So. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> you spent three years there. I'm going to trust you. Um, do you find that? Do you do that? And do you find that to be more efficient in the end? Definitely. definitely. So people don't know. Can you explain what that is to people who don't understand what that is? Sure. So mise en place means basically, if you translate it directly, uh, to put in place. So everything's in place before you you start. And the chefs, it's our mindset. It's our, everything's organized. I know where everything is. And this is really important, like if you're on a line in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. But if you're at your house um, cooking, you want to make sure, okay, you've got everything you're going to work on. Um, So you've got a bowl for your finished product, like say I'm going to cut peppers. So I got a bowl for the cut product. Then I also have a bowl too for my scraps. So I don't have to like, okay, where's my trash can? Or if I do have a trash can, I put it, I'll put it like to my left or right. So I can just swipe it in there. Um, and then, so usually it's, I cut everything first and then go into like kind of like the hot production where then I'm going to cook it. So I always start with like, you know, if I'm going to you know, cut my peppers, my onions, and then, um, you know, cut some chicken breasts, you know, always vegetables first, meat last. You don't want to cross contaminate and then get that ready. And then you can just kind of cook. And that's really the most enjoyable part mm-hmm. is actually, um, the act of cooking and getting and preparing the dish that way. So that's what most chefs hate the prep. They just love the cooking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like anything. I mean, it's like, it's like being, uh, trying to get, uh, fit. Exactly. You don't like the process. You just like being fit. Exactly. So it's, it's exactly it's a very good it's correlation. The same thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I like being a cop. Did not like the academy, but that yes. prepped me to be a cop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> same, it's the same thing through everything in life. Yeah. Um, okay. So we got knives and, and boards. Uh, you know, people often worry about, uh, you said cross-contamination or like, especially with chicken, there's a big fear about chicken or pork. Mm-hmm. Um, using the same cutting boards for... I understand the order, vegetables mm-hmm. first, then poultry. Um, but assuming those things are washed uh, mm-hmm. well and then put away, is there an issue with cross-contamination uh, using that board again the next day? Usually not. If you sanitize it, you're fine. What I recommend is actually having a vegetable cutting board and a meat cutting board. So you'd never have any question of like, oh, shoot, did I mm-hmm. actually cut chicken on this? Um, normally, if you wash it, um, soap and water, hot water, put it in your dishwasher that sanitizes it you should be fine my wife's gonna be so happy to hear that answer she she <laughs> insisted we do that and yeah. we have colored cutting boards yeah. for uh for the vegetables mm-hmm. and black ones for for meat so because yeah. you know i'm an idiot so i need colors to match yeah, and, I'm, not, and i still yeah. get it wrong this is like two three years later but uh yeah. she insisted that that was uh that was safer and, and, and once again she's right about everything 
<laughs> you know, that tends to happen. Um, but even at the professional level, we do have... Oh, do you? In the, in the cutting boards, we've got green cutting boards for veg, yellow for chicken, red for raw meat, brown for cooked meat. Uh, we actually have like a purple for people who are like gluten-free or any allergies. So that's like the allergy board. And then white for like cutting bread and dairy. So it is actually... Wow. It does it does work it does happen yeah um this this may not be a, you just you, uh, you thought i thought made me think of another question when you talk about mm-hmm. cross-contamination and then you mentioned gluten and all that like um what i mean I, that cross-contamination has got to be minimal right for someone from a from a, at least a, a home chef level or a home cooking level if if you're trying to avoid wheat or gluten but your kids are eating bread or whatever right Right. I can't imagine that's going to be a, a big issue. Yeah, unless you have like celiac disease, and I've cooked for people who can't be in the same room as pasta cooking. Same room? Yeah. Really? Yeah, just because it's in the air and they just can't deal with it. So wow. a lot of times you have to have a real dedicated area if you're going to be like completely gluten-free. Mm-hmm. A lot of places say they are, but they're more gluten-friendly because you can't really control. Like if you're making bread, that flour goes into the air and you don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. So I, it's it's really minimal. Um the gluten contamination, you know, the cross contamination, like, you know, in a, in a house that yeah. way, unless you have a real serious condition. Do you have a particular diet you follow? I mean, like, are you like the paleo or Atkins or zone or, uh, I or don't actually, I just try to eat as much vegetables as possible. Um, and if I'm counting calories, I don't even count vegetables as calories cause they're great. Mm-hmm. And then I usually, I hardly eat any red meat and I just use like fish chicken for me, I guess it's more like a Mediterranean diet, a lot of olive oils, okay. nuts, um, fresh fruits, um, farmer's market, if I can get there. Yeah, that's, that's farmer's markets are great. It's a yeah. shame. Uh, I think they're growing. We're yeah. lucky here because there's one, I think there's one almost every day of the week yeah, within driving distance of us, yeah. five, 10 minute drive. All right. So, uh, something that I'm still playing with, that's a struggle that, uh, uh, a lot of people don't understand or, 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 or they don't, I think that's a, it's, it's a hang up for them or spices. Like what, mm-hmm. Other than salt and pepper, what else can you put in food? And uh, my biggest critics, uh, mm-hmm. three and seven years old each, um, probably complain there's too much oregano uh-huh. or there's too much basil right. in, in, in my dishes. But what are the <laughs> what are the five, six, whatever, however many spices you think are, are good starters? And sure. then that, that might blend well with some mm-hmm. of the basics foods. Well, I guess the question was: Are the is it dried oregano, dried basil, or is it fresh? Uh, it's always, almost, well, it's usually dried, usually but dry. sometimes fresh. Yeah. The thing about the dried herbs is they're going to be a lot stronger than your fresh herbs will be, um, just because they've dried and they've concentrated those flavors. Oh, see, that's counterintuitive. I thought it would be less because it's been dried and that moisture has been sucked out. But yeah. no, it's okay. Yeah, they're well, a lot then stronger. maybe my three and seven year old are right. <laughs> they could be <laughs> just, you know, a little bit less. A little um, bit less. So, yeah, definitely um, cilantro is interesting to use. It's pretty versatile. It's, you know, used in Mexican cooking, but also in Indian cooking. Um, they call it coriander. Um, then, you know, fresh basil, of course. I'm sorry. Hang, I'm sorry, sorry. Yeah, sure. Uh, coriander is the same as, yeah. uh, as cilantro? Yeah, it's the same thing. Really? Yeah, so like the, the little seed is actually the cilantro seed. It's coriander. I see. I mean, without having them side by side to compare... It's, it's they taste so much different off the top of my head, but maybe it's just I'm not paying attention. I'm thinking one is an Indian spice, and maybe one is a Mexican spice. Yeah, they're they're both the same. That's okay. Yeah, well, I learned something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty interesting. So um, if you're doing Indian dishes, I think uh, um, especially if you're getting into um, cooking, even having like a little box of curry spice curry powder, mm-hmm. um, like the yellow curry powder, and then because then that that'll transform dishes. And it'll make your cooking a lot more interesting. Um, yeah, I use a lot of thyme, fresh thyme, even a little mm-hmm. bit of dry thyme. I mean, those are really like European spices that everyone you know grew up with. Um, rosemary. I, t- I do have a small herb garden where I can go out, pick some fresh rosemary, come back, chop it up, finish my dishes with that. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, especially for fresh herbs, it's best to put them right at the end because what, if you have like a hot dish, it'll actually the aromas will come out um, of that, and it'll be really, really nice. Um, yeah, uh, but I just had Indian food last night and it's one of my favorite, yeah, favorite things to eat just, me too. just because there's so many different spices they use and the different processes and, and just like the U S there's different regions of India that, you know, mm-hmm. um, they've got different spice blends, different heats 
and and one thing I've learned, uh, or it's been my experience, is that uh, Indian foods some of the it's some of the easiest to learn because your margin for your margin of error is pretty big. Sure. So like if you underspice, it's still going to be good. It just may not be as spicy or right. as flavorful as you'd like it, but it's mm-hmm. still certainly palatable. And even if it's overspiced, it's still pretty good. I mean, yeah. Most Indian, if you go to like a legit Indian restaurant, it's going to be way more spicy than most Americans are right. are ready for. And totally. it like sweating, yeah. teared up, and and that's not even the spicy version of the <laughs> no, dish. No, and no. you're you're yeah, you're sweating through your shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard. I think that like curries to me were an easy one to pick up on pretty early because yeah. it's hard to screw those up. Sure, you know, especially if you're following a recipe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Like yellow, yellow curry or whatnot. So okay, so yeah, Indian foods full of spices. What mm-hmm. about stuff like um, seasoning fish and how and cooking fish? Like mm-hmm. well, that's that's very intimidating to a lot of people. And it is, it is, and I find that everyone overcooks it. I'm from Seattle, so salmon mm-hmm. is my my fish. You know, I've cooked that for years and I love it. Um, but people tend to overcook it, and so no one really likes it. The thing about when you're cooking, you always have it's called carryover cooking. So once it comes out of the oven, it's going to cook for another 10 minutes. So you have to keep that in mind if you're cooking steak, fish, chicken, mm-hmm. whatever. And that's how you keep your moisture and uh, content higher in there. So you, if you take it out when you think it's like, oh, it's kind of raw. But if you realize it's going to cook for 10 more minutes, you know, on the counter, yeah, then you have to, have to um, put that into your, your calculation. It, and will it cook kind of at that same temperature almost? Basically, it'll, yeah. It'll sit. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so fish, so yeah, continue with fish, like grilling fish. Um, you mentioned, um, earlier about your boiling water, poaching salmon is a really great way to do it. It's really healthy. You can actually make kind of an aromatic broth and then put your salmon in there. Um, so basically taking your water and then putting like, you know, your spices in there, you know, pepper, salt it a little bit. Um, maybe put, um, maybe some dill in the water so the salmon will suck that flavor in mm-hmm. and it's pretty easy you boil the water you just slam it in there for you know five ten minutes and then take it out and that's uh, a piece of salmon not it's not in a bag or anything nope, like that you no. just drop it straight in the water drop it straight in and it doesn't fall apart that's where you have to keep your eye on it. so <laughs> okay. that's, where that's where the overcooking comes in okay so, yeah. so how okay so i've never tried that and that sure. sounds interesting to me so you put all the spices into the water rather mm-hmm. than on on the fish right right bring it to a boil uh-huh. Um, or do you put, the, do you bring it to boil, then put the spices in? You probably, you want to bring, put the spices in first and bring it to a boil. Okay. And then you want to t- bring it to the boil and then you want to turn, um, your water down. So it just kind of barely bubbles because you don't want that, that agitating action. Cause that'll definitely make, you know, salmon chowder mm-hmm. <laughs> after a while. Yeah. Um, so having that, um, kind of, kind of like a low bubble, um, kind of a softly boiling is mm-hmm. a great way to do that. And uh, I know the, uh, different weights and thicknesses and all that, but a rough idea, like, I mean, how, how long would you do um, that then? Five, eight minutes, okay. somewhere in there. Yeah, I just got to check it. I'll have to try that sometime. I yeah. I haven't done that. I I think I've, uh, what's, you know, I do a lot of it on the grill because mm-hmm. uh, we have weather here that we can usually grill 20, yes. uh, all, year, all year long. And uh, just only now even just getting comfortable with like putting the fish directly on the grill, especially like flesh side down. Right. So if you're grilling, well, I, my original point was I do a lot with like aluminum foil. Sure. Um, but if you cover it with aluminum foil, that seems to end up kind of doing, kind of poaching it. Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. it kind of your, it's steaming its own stuff? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Do so, you, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, do you put any like herbs and stuff in your foil when you do that? I usually cover the salmon with uh, like dill, thyme, and lemon. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. pretty simple, straightforward. Yeah, Everyone yeah. kind of can agree with that 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 that, that, that right. tastes all right i sometimes will play with more like mesquite flavors sure or if i know the kids aren't eating with us that night or something mm-hmm. i might go a little more exotic sure um but they're obviously they're often the dictators of of taste yes. um so then with salmon on the grill uh you want to start with it skin uh, flesh side down yeah and the thing about a grill too you want to make sure it's cured so it doesn't stick and it's hot enough that's usually the mistake a lot of people make when it's not hot enough and then you think it's done and you pull it up and half of your salmon's left on the grill. And yeah, like, oh. that's what scares people. Like yeah. $25 so, mistake or something. Yeah, basically. So for me, I always have like a nice grill brush and like I'll heat my grill up, brush it, and then I'll come back with um, like a paper towel of olive oil and brush it on there mm-hmm. or some sort of oil um, to make 
so it kind of makes it non-stick a little bit mm-hmm. and then throwing it skin side down and just leaving it there i don't you don't need to flip it you don't need to flip it unless you really want like some charred stuff on there there's definitely enough heat since you're closing the grill that eventually it'll mm-hmm. is there a cook. per pound method to how long or how what temperature you want to keep the grill at um i usually do mine around like three to four hundred mm-hmm. um sear it on one side and then maybe have a, a lower um and just kind of keep it there and then and then i turn it down and usually after a while then you get that nice caramelization mm-hmm. um and then i think i check it after maybe i don't know 10 minutes five ten minutes and then then you can flip it like a quarter to do like the cross hatching you get that you fancy want. look the fancy you look see it like the whole food yeah, deli exactly <laughs> it's just a quarter turn yeah yeah so you work all day cooking and, and doing all this stuff. Do you mm-hmm. get home and like the last thing you want to do is cook and your and your wife's like, What do you want to eat? You're like, I don't care, just make something. Yeah. Or or are you just coming in the door like excited to go cook again? I, um it depends on the day. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes you know, um like you sometimes I work fourteen hour days and mm-hmm. it's like, Okay, I'm just gonna have a stack of craft singles and this is how it's gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh I won't shy away from that. Um but a lot of times I um, and I think it's one of those questions you asked me before uh, we started talking. It's like, well, how do you prep, you know, four or five days out and what do you do? Um, this is where it gets into my, I have a one day where I like do a production day, like on a Sunday mm-hmm. where I cut all my veg, cut all my onions and just have them in containers. And so when I get home, I don't have to do all the chopping. I can just take it out of the container, throw it in the pan and go from there. And so, so yeah. yeah, let's talk about that. Um, so you do meal prep as well. Definitely. Okay. So that's a, a huge challenge for us. Uh, anybody who works a job, but you know, we, I know lots of, uh, guys I've, I've talked to or who, who, you know, you, you get, they get in their patrol car and they've either got a cooler or a wallet full of cash mm-hmm. to go buy food. And if they got the cooler, that might be the only, uh, food they have that day. They may not have access to a microwave because they're stuck in the car. They're eating in sure. the car. Some guys are given breaks mm-hmm. uh where they can maybe find a microwave at a 7-eleven or something like that and heat right. stuff up i'm right. lucky enough that i'm uh cl- in close enough proximity to our station or our headquarters and mm-hmm. that and we are set up in a way where i'm allowed to come and go from the station but nice. i know some guys aren't mm-hmm. like once you're gone for the day unless you are booking evidence or dealing with a uh, booking a suspect or any mm-hmm. of those things you're really you're not supposed to be in the station so right. meal prep becomes important for mm-hmm. anyone who's got to take that stuff with them um you mentioned one good thing right there, which is just prepping all those things in advance. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, do you bring food with you to work too, or is that just for when you get home from work and then you have all that stuff ready to go? Usually, well, I'm lucky enough to work in a food service, so yeah. we, I eat there. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, my wife sometimes works long hours, and we just need to eat when we get home. So I usually just do it for like our weekends, and then you know our Monday through Friday. So you can't cut up a bunch of onions uh without knowing you're going to need onions that week so how do you plan how do you plan your meals or what do you mm-hmm. what decisions do you make sure so it's usually a conversation i have with my wife okay what do you want to eat this week and kind of do um an actual just like a meal plan okay tuesday we're gonna have fish and then you know the next day we'll have chicken and then maybe we'll do like a baked dish and then kind of write the prep list that way and do the shopping that way so i know what i have for my week and i know what i'm gonna make i mean a lot of times since you know, I, I am in the profession. I can just kind of look at the fridge and say, okay, I'll just kind of make that and use it as leftovers. Um, it's just really good to like the plan ahead. Um, because I think that's where, um, people kind of fall short is like, yeah. they get home, they're really hungry. And the first thing they go to are the chips because yeah. they have to eat and you're hungry. It's been a long day. Um, so having that kind of planned out on your fridge. Okay. So you can kind of go in, you're tired, blurry eyed. Okay. I'm making chicken tonight. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have everything I need for this. Do you ever, uh, probably don't but do you ever use cookbooks or recipes or anything like that for oh, yeah, other people or, really yeah yeah and that's the the great the best way to uh, learn different recipes and techniques i mean a lot of the best chefs in the world cooked under someone else mm-hmm. and learned their recipes and so on and so on um and so i you know, i'm always looking at cookbooks <clears throat> excuse me and you know talking to other people about what they've eaten or mm-hmm. even going out and it's like oh that was a really great dish let's see if i can replicate that at home and then kind of go from there I like doing that. Like if you find something you like and then trying to figure out a way to, to replicate that. Mm-hmm. What, do you have any cookbook recommendations? Uh, I, I remember I had my, the best one I have, uh, Mark, what Mark Bittman, but, uh, mm-hmm. how do you, how to cook everything? Yeah. It's giant, yeah, it's but massive. it's pretty much got a, it's got a good basic kind of literally everything. I mean, if you want yeah. to, how to cook anything 
it's a good starter, it seems to me. Do you have anything, any other um, suggestions? I would agree. That's a great book to start with. The Joy of Cooking is also a mm. classic tome that, you know, it's got everything like how to you know poach salmon to throw a dinner party, mm-hmm. you know, how to make mixed drinks. You know, it has everything in there. So, I mean, really, it's funny because the cookbook industry, they want you to buy all these really nice, beautiful cookbooks, but really you need one. You know, and if you cooked cover to cover in one cookbook, you would know so much. So having like, you know, how to cook everything or the joy of cooking, you know, if you went through recipe to recipe, you would be pretty accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. And very overweight. Probably. Lot of, <laughs> it's a lot of food. It is a lot of food. Yeah. yeah. Um, so with, with uh, like, one thing that always concerns me or that I, that always maybe prevents me from doing more prepping than I, than I could is, um, is, is, is how long food lasts in the fridge mm-hmm. once it's cut up like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like stuff like your, your, your onions, um, peppers or, or let me back up a little bit too. One of the, sure. one of the ways that I do a lot of meal prep is again on the grill because mm-hmm. it's an easy way to cook chicken, fish and beef all at the same time. Right. And, right. uh, then I'm not also, there's no dishes. Sure. Or less dishes, but I have three different kinds of meals all done at the same time. Mm-hmm. But then I, you know, divvy it up, put it into my, my Tupperware. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then three or four days later, I'm looking at the chicken going, uh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, what, yeah. What standard? Standards about three days. Mm-hmm. Um, you could probably push it to four depending on when you cooked it. Um, the other thing that especially vegetables, they could do like four to five days. Mm-hmm. Um, but your proteins, once they're cooked, you've got about three to four days on it. And the best way is actually to put a date on it when you cooked it. Yeah. Um, just a piece of tape. Okay, good to hear. Because then sometimes like you're going through your fridge, like, oh, here's some chicken. <laughs> Discover. Like, um, I'm not sure when. <laughs> yeah. When, when did I make this? Fish also will last that long. Um, I'd probably do three days, two mm-hmm. or three days on that. Um, but again, if it's in the fridge and it's cold, um, it should be okay. Um, back to salmon, because uh, that's that's one of our favorites yeah. uh, to to eat something healthy with omegas and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, there seems to be a, a, a giant difference between, um, like Atlantic salmon and like sockeye salmon, the mm-hmm. much darker red. Yeah. Um, it, seem, it must be, a, is it a lot leaner? Because it dries out really fast. It does. It does. It's the, um, the fat content on the, the sockeye and mm-hmm. the Chinook, um, are definitely less. And it depends on farm raised or if it's actually, um, line caught. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Cause farm raised, it's, it's almost like it's a farm raised cow. So they definitely give him feed to plump him up and they're in pens. They don't move around a lot. So they're just there just to get big. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the line caught ones are, they're out in the ocean. They're being chased by other predators. And so they're very lean. And um, so that's why they tend to dry out faster. So then that means your cooking time is almost cut by half. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's a good one. <laughs> so another uh, another point of I think uh, resistance or reluctance for a lot of people is oils. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to use olive oil for everything right. at every temperature and on every surface, mm-hmm. and uh, slowly learned that that's probably not the best way to cook. It's not a disaster, but it's you're sure. not getting the most out of both the oil and the food. Mm-hmm. And then I did um, I did a strict paleo thing that I've rambled on about here for mm-hmm. many times so i won't go back through that but that's when i used a lot of coconut oil and started using yeah. that and learned of the difference between like the flashpoint right mm-hmm. that's what it's called yeah. so the high flashpoint of coconut oil versus olive oil can you uh since olive oil seems to be ubiquitous and that's what everyone knows and thinks that you use for cooking mm-hmm. what oils do you recommend what do you recommend them for mm-hmm. and where does butter even play into that um butter's always going to play in it because it's so good <laughs> yeah you know um the I usually try to cook with grapeseed oil because it has a high flash point, or also called a smoke point too, mm-hmm. um, like coconut oil, and it doesn't have a lot of flavor, but you can you know get your pan really really hot so you have a nice sear on it. Um, olive oils I normally use for a finishing right at the end, especially if it's a nice like grassy kind of pungent olive oil, right right out the end like on a salad or on a pasta or whatever you're making. So um, almost at room temperature then? Or, definitely. Okay, so not even really cooking. Yeah, a lot of times if I'm not using grapeseed, then I use like a blend of like um, like olive oil and canola and maybe another oil. Um, I think Costco has a really nice blend of something like that that you can use. So it still has the qualities of a high 
high flashpoint, but also gets a little more flavor in there too. And and to, to the flashpoint, can you define what that is or why that's important with an oil? Yeah, basically. So olive oil has a, a low flashpoint, so it starts smoking and or going to catch fire at a lower <laughs> temperature. Bad. Which is bad. Um, and the other ones like coconut oil have a higher flashpoint. So, and that and, and that that point too doesn't that when it starts to kind of oxidize and change that'll really change yeah, the flavor it too changes the flavor makes and it bitter it makes it bitter and also um kind of destroys all your good antioxidants that are in that oil mm. and it kind of i think it's calling it's creating like free radicals in there mm-hmm. so it's not really good for you um and especially for like really nice olive oils they um that's why they use them at room temperature you know and as a finishing um so grapeseed yeah grapeseed okay I just saw almond oil yeah. uh, at the store for the. I don't think I've ever seen that before, but that seems like a new. Oh, yeah. it's new, but it just seems new to me. Yeah, almond oil, hazelnut oil is really good. Um, walnut oil, these are great things that are um, will add flavors. There's definitely like they're for finishing. Mm-hmm. The best one of the best recipes that I love is like grilled asparagus, chopped up like hazelnuts, and then a little bit of hazelnut oil on that and salt pepper in your it's fantastic because then the warm asparagus you'll get like that like hazelnut mm-hmm. um, aromas off it it's fantastic and then you know there's oil and vinegar oil and vinegar mm-hmm. um most people know balsamic sure there's a lot of sugar in balsamic yeah well, comparatively anyway mm-hmm. um but when you know one thing we want to stay away from or people typically want to stay away from is dressings or like those store-bought dressings that are mm-hmm. full of mm-hmm. god knows what yeah plus fat and salt and um sugar isn't a crazy amount of sugar mm-hmm. um what is there uh any vinegars that you like to match with any of those oils either in a dressing or uh, as a finisher yeah um usually like red wine vinegars mm-hmm. and white wine vinegars are always really good those are that's, that's what's in my my cupboard right now so i've got some balsamics um of different ages and then red wine and then white wine vinegar um, and those you can definitely, if you have like a salad, the easiest thing to do is good olive oil, some little good vinegar, salt and pepper, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so, and you can use those vinegars for marinades, um, shake it up, um, and for, to make your own dressings too. If anyone has like a, like an immersion blender or a Cuisinart or something like that, it's basically, I think it's like a three to one mm-hmm. ratio. So, um, three parts oil, one part vinegar. And then you can add, you know, garlic, shallots, mustard in there too, to make your own vinegars. And those will last weeks. They will. Yeah. My wife makes a lot. She plays around a lot with um, the, exactly what you just said, but then adding citruses, either orange yeah. or lemon. Um, those seem to work real well too. Yeah, definitely. And the key for citrus too is the rind on there, because that's where all the essential oils are um, in citrus is in the rind. So if you have like a it's called a microplane. It was mm-hmm. actually originally a woodworking tool, and some chef got a hold of it. It's like, this is great for Parmesan and you know, <laughs> lemon zest. And so you just zest that in there, and then that'll add a, more of a punch for that citrus. So it's not the um, – what's that? The zester. It's not a zester. It's more like a. It's more it's like the like slicing it off. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like a zester, but it's it's like almost like little um, – like little razor blades on it. It's really small. If you looked at if you look it up online, you can you'll find one. Um, but it's about I don't know about an inch wide, and it kind of looks like a really nice fine little zester. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. Try. I know what you're talking about. I'm trying sure. to describe it since we're, we're making yeah. hand gestures and all that. But right. I'll, I'll put some. I'll put it in the show notes uh, okay. so people can see it. Um. So. You you. You cook a lot of meals, obviously, during the day for that that many people. Mm-hmm. You meal prep at home. Um, what's what? Do you, how, what's your process for? Not, we talked about meal prep, but the meal planning, like mm-hmm. the, going to the store and shopping, mm-hmm. like um, and, and does the do the ingredients between Monday night and Wednesday night have an effect on how what you decide to eat, or you know, so that you're not buying. The problem, I think, a lot of times with meal prep is you buy, like, you need you need green onions for, mm-hmm. for one dish. But it's only for the one dish. But now you have a bunch of, a bushel of green onions in your hand, and you only used half, and now they go bad. And then right, right. you have that uh, first, world, first world guilt of, you know, letting food go to waste. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. how, do you, uh, how do you plan your trip to the grocery store? Well, definitely around the menus and make sure I've got um, exactly what I need because it sucks going back to the grocery store because you, you forgot <laughs> yes, something. Um, 
and but especially like with green onions you can use that for garnish or throw them in a salad too so looking at if you have to you know you have to buy a bunch of you know green onions or basil but you only need like a couple of tablespoons so what else can i do with that um i mean they're versatile enough to throw in anything even into your you know if you make a vinaigrette you can like chop it fine and throw it in and add that um i tend to definitely want to shop it's just I never usually go through the aisles. It's always like the perimeter because mm-hmm. that's usually where all the fresh stuff is. Yeah. Um, and if I need, you know, if I am doing pasta, um, I mean, I'll go for that. But I tend not to be tempted by going through each of the aisles. Yeah. And just that seems to be the number one shopping recommendation is is, yeah. is follow the, ex- the outside of the store. Don't go yeah. down the aisles. No, don't go down. Because you're right. Any store, any grocery store you go into, the 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 perimeter is where all the healthy stuff is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and the kind of the staples. Yeah. That's when you start going down the like big bulk and pizza and ice cream aisle that you get yourself yes. in trouble. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I avoid those as much as I can. Um, so speaking of being at like the grocery store and we talked a little bit just a second ago, like, like whole foods. Mm-hmm. One of the things uh, I do when I need to try and eat healthy, but I didn't meal prep, but I don't want to, go totally off the wagon is I'll use their hot bar. And a mm-hmm. lot of, a lot of, uh, grocery stores these days have a hot bar. Mm-hmm. Whole foods just happens to have the, probably the best one. I would agree. Um, even our tiny little one is pretty good, but there's some, some cities have, you know, I'm sure you've seen them, the whole foods that are just, they're like restaurants. Yeah. Huge. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're making food kind of at the same, not, not at the same level as you are at the same quantity, but, but kind of a micro scale version of that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, they have to produce, yeah, you know, however many pounds of chicken breasts to, for that dish because for a couple hundred people that are going to buy that during the hot lunch rush. Mm-hmm. So they're scaling things much bigger than totally. than I would at home. Are there things I should be careful of or cognizant of at the hot bar that are maybe used in the prepping or the taste preparation of these foods mm-hmm. that I'm not aware of? Not really. I think whole food cooks pretty clean. Um, and, you know, since it's, it's used for that day, there's probably no preservatives for the most part. I think it's still the same, those healthy choices. Okay, chicken, fish, stay away from the carnitas, you know, which mm-hmm. is hard to do because they're really good. Yeah. Um, and then having you know, tons of veg in there. So I think it's, they have a really, it's probably the best option you could have mm-hmm. um, as opposed to going to like Albertsons or Vaughn's, you know. Um, where it's all like mayonnaise based and yeah. you know, it's all pretty disgusting. Um, uh, is there like a high level of salt used in the food to make it anything like that? I mean, I know you don't cook there, but I'm just saying, sure, can you, sure. would you expect that? Or if you have it and you taste it, do you taste it as being high sodium? Um, there's probably some because they are almost doing like a restaurant style too, cause they want the food to taste good. And mm-hmm. you know, when you go to a restaurant, there's a this funny chef told me, he's like, um, if you can't make it taste good, make it salty. <laughs> because the salt actually opens up your taste buds and then helps the flavor get in there. So that's why people you go to restaurants and it's a little more heavily seasoned than you would at home, just because they want you to to taste that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as for Whole Foods, I would probably suspect they're probably kind of like a mid-range of that. Um, again, it's probably some of the preparations, like if you've got grilled salmon, grilled chicken, things like that, it's probably not going to be too bad. But if it's like baked or like the rotisserie, um, kind of style. It's definitely a lot of fat going on, you know, um, how it's usually made. It's like, so all the fat drippings go onto each other. So it really makes it really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that, um, the seasoning there is probably a little bit higher. Hmm. That. Um, well, you know, with restaurants and ordering out, uh, one of my favorite books is kitchen confidential. Yeah, have you ever read that? Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine you, you yeah. would have, but he gives some, uh, some comments and tips about restaurants or what, when, when, what mm-hmm. days not to order what, uh, sure, sure. do you have any, uh, anything like that when, you know, when you're out at, out at a restaurant, even off duty, but just, you know, sure. when you go out to a restaurant, uh, you know, should you be ordering the fish on a Sunday night? I don't, I, I don't know. Um, I think, I mean, that was written in the early to late 90 or yeah, late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. That's right. Actually, I read that right before I went to culinary school. So oh. it was like, it was brilliant. Um, <laughs> And I'm not sure. I think with the globalization, the, the ease of people delivering, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Mm-hmm. Um, usually if you get fish on a Monday, they're going to deliver it on a Monday. Um, and there's those reputations too. So people want good quality, especially here. 
where we live, you know, people are pretty picky and they're really, you know, conscious of where the food's coming from. Yeah. So I don't think, I mean, for me, I, I don't really think about it too much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other, uh, backroom secrets of, of kitchens that you, <laughs> like you go to a restaurant and you, you see something and you go, oh, I know what they're doing. Ah, uh, I'm, pu- I'm putting you on the spot. I know. I know. I know. I was going to think, um, <laughs> when's the last time? No. Um, I mean, there's definitely some stories, you know, about there's, uh, especially like in open kitchens too, you know, where people are watching it. There's, um, there's one story I heard this guy, they had this, because they always like when you're in a kitchen, they say like, okay, fire 45. Okay. Fire ticket number six. And then, but there's also the special ticket for this particular restaurant. It's not in Santa Barbara, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> where, you know, it's, it was a, this huge restaurant. It was, they're just going gangbusters and this guy drops the dish on the floor in the back of the kitchen. And so what they did is, said, you know, fire 65. And so all the chefs kind of went into a line right in front of it. And the guy went down and picked it back up and then they kept going, you know, so they kind of did like this, like, you know, soccer wall of, yeah, <laughs> nothing to see here. Move along. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They're just kind of like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, oh that wasn't gosh. my dish. But, yeah. 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 That's funny. I have a, a partner actually, like he's a deputy, right? Mm-hmm. He, um, he too was a professional chef. He went through CIA. Oh, wow. Um, but, uh, cooked at, uh, La Bernadin mm-hmm. and, uh, the French laundry and, and wow. quite a few other places himself. And then like for, I think a variety of reasons, but just up and left and was like, ah, I'm just going to go do this now. And sure. He's now, he's now with us, but yeah. he, it's funny. He's, um, he's always entertaining at like a squad barbecue mm-hmm. or some, you know, department event. And you got, I mean, you got cops who are who are, who are quite happy with a ribeye and uh, or a hot dog and a hamburger, you know. Right. That kind of that kind of uh, group, which is which is my group. I'm yeah. all you know. Ribeye is, is oh, heaven yeah. for me. So, it's good. Uh, but it's funny because uh, every time he comes to an event, he comes in. He, a he comes in with his professional uh, like the kitchen mm-hmm. quality pans and stuff like that. Still, yeah. but he you know. I don't know where he got them. I'm not going to ask if he took them with him from the last place, but the big pans you can't find at the grocery store. Or, yeah. I mean, at the, at the regular, like civilian quote unquote mm-hmm. cooking store, but I don't know where you guys get these pans and all that and mm-hmm. the prep stuff and all that. Anyway, shows up with those. And it's always like, you know, quail that's been, uh, um, you know, marinating in some crazy concoction he made up and he's yeah. grilled and all that. And wow. he always, he always up, which is great because he always upgrades our barbecues a hundred percent. Definitely. And uh, whenever he cooks for the squad or brings food in, he's not with my squad right now. But whenever uh, you know, every once in a while, a guy will bring in food for the squad, tri tip mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, pretty standard stuff, always good, but standard. And then he yeah. comes in with these crazy, you know, flan cakes of, of whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, how lovely! Do you guys have like? I know firehouses have like a firehouse chef. Or a guy who cooks for the. Do you guys have that too? Like in your squads, or? <laughs> but I know that there's probably some like, like. Oh no, not really. <laughs> no, no. Well, um, you know they're set up differently than we sure, are. Is the sure. honest answer or the yeah. the diplomatic answer? Um, <laughs> you know they they are reactive by nature, so okay. they respond to calls. Okay. So, you know, fire trucks don't go out drive around looking for Got people it. in car accidents or looking for fire you know, blowing out the top of your house. They sure, just don't sure. do that. That's okay. just not the way they're set that up. So sense. they're stationary. Okay. And because they're stationary, they have, um, and for, I don't know, I don't know where this started, but for, you know, most fire stations work, um, in 24 hour cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, do have friends who are firefighters who work like 48 hours on mm-hmm. and then 48 hours off or mm-hmm. even 72 hours on. Mm-hmm. That's a little long and some work 24 hours. So you work like 8am to 8am. Mm-hmm. So you're spending your whole day there, right? So you have right. to cook. Right. Um, you're sleeping there overnight. Sure. Um, so there, there's, it's much more of like a residence okay. uh, setup. Okay. Right. Um, I don't know why they do that because you got to go into the public policy issues of it. There's all mm-hmm. sorts of like, man, uh, overtime issues that come up for you know because you're paying guys 48 hours instead of 40. Sure. Um, but you know, we joke uh, at my station that we, we you know when. When the fire department and the sheriff's department were, were hiring, we got in the wrong line. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, they, they're definitely loved, you know, mm-hmm. and everyone, um, everyone, uh, you know, looks to the fire department, especially here where we have a lot of forest fires that have sure. really burned a lot of homes and mm-hmm. 
threatened lives and all that. So I, I totally get that. And I, I have to give them their due because we work very closely with them and mm-hmm. uh, they do amazing things that I would never want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they would probably say the same thing. Um, so we have a good working relationship with them. Yes, mm-hmm. there is a little bit of a sibling rivalry. It's sure. it, And that's exactly what it is too yeah. because – we will crack jokes about the fire department all day long. Right. Right. I mean, uh, you know why God made firemen? Mm. Because, uh, or no, sorry. Do you know, do you know what? I'm going to screw that up. Do you know why uh, God made cops? No. Because firemen still need heroes. Oh, right? <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, so, um, we, but it's, it's like a brother sister relationship, right? Or a younger right. brother, older brother relationship. Like we will crack on each other behind each other's backs all mm-hmm. day long. Mm-hmm. I will, I will bitch about, the fact they get to work out on duty, right? You know, and get paid for it, and then go sit in their barca lounger and watch the football game, right? While I'm out driving around in my vest and gear and crap and dealing right. with all this nonsense, sure. But the minute someone else starts to rag on them from mm-hmm. outside of, of of first responder network or whatever, it's like, sure. whoa, 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 hey, yeah, that's yeah. my brother there. You got to yeah. watch, you know, watch yeah. yourself. Got it, got it. <laughs> Luckily for the firemen, they don't get a whole lot of grief. I don't think right. uh, for most people, at least, mm-hmm. at least the ones that I know. So. Yeah. Um, but no, they, they, they do have the ability to go out and shop and cook. They have a full kitchen. Um, they even have a budget, you know, mm. so they're not even having to, mm. um, to, to put forth for a lot of this food mm. and, uh, they make a lot of meals together. Sure. We did have a incident here recently mm-hmm. where, uh, firemen were cooking, uh, dinner mm-hmm. and they got a call mm-hmm. and they didn't turn the stove off. Uh, and the fire ended up being at their station. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. That's hard to live down. Nobody gave him crap about that. Nobody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. We let that slide completely. That's probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it was, it was, of course, the irony was hilarious yeah. to us. Yeah, of course. I don't think the captain found it very funny, but Definitely. we were laughing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I wish we did. And, and you know, we work law enforcement works either eight, 10 or typically eight, 10 or 12 hour mm-hmm. cycles. Mm-hmm. So you're never at work. Um, I, I'm always at work, you know, day shift. I'm at work for breakfast and lunch. Okay. Night shift is a little different. I'm there for kind of like what normal people would be dinner. Mm-hmm. And then, but for me, it's kind of a breakfast mm-hmm. and, and you really are there for all three meals. Cause by sure. the time you're off at 6am, that's kind of your dinner time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, snacks and stuff like that throughout mm-hmm. the day or the night too. Um, I'm sure there are departments out there that have facilities. Mm-hmm. We just don't have them. And it, sure. it, actually, I take that even back. Our we could go into our dispatch center, mm-hmm. and uh, they got a kitchen. But again, I could be, you know, uh, halfway through a meal and sautéing something on the stove. And if I got a call, I got to go. Yeah. And then your food's ruined and all that anyway. So cooking while on duty mm-hmm. doesn't make much sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because the way fire departments again are structured, they can often leave a guy behind, right? To you know, stay with the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish we could do that, and you know, know that I was going to have a dedicated hour. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I think eating together, you probably understand this. I think the the act of eating together mm-hmm. or eating with someone, breaking bread with someone, is an important uh, bonding experience. Mm-hmm. So when you're in a profession like ours as well, I think it's. Uh, that's, that's, that's a benefit, you know, mm. with, with these people that you're doing so much with right. uh, in other ways. Mm-hmm. So, um, back on track. Cause I'm rambling sure. about the fire department. <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> um, EMS guys, oh, they're cool. I don't know why yeah. I, I couldn't do that job. Yeah. Oh God. Um, I'm kidding to all the firemen, by the way. <laughs> um, what are some meals or some recipes, are there any that you can just like throw out there that don't necessarily, I mean, that don't necessarily need a lot of instruction, mm-hmm. but that can maybe get someone started on trying a few things and getting their first week of, of meal prep under their belt? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, a couple ideas, um, you know, early in the show, I mentioned, you know, onions and peppers. There's really, there's a, a style of cooking called a provincial, provincial, um, which is basic, a lot of onions and peppers sauteed. And then you put your, and then you take that out of your pan. Then you put your fish and chicken, um, saut, um, sear that, put your onions and peppers back in there, and then throw it in the oven and just let it bake. Um, the roasting and those types of preparations are probably your easiest thing to do um, because you know it doesn't require you to always look over it and be attentive to it. So you can just put everything together like on a roasting pan, throw it in the oven, 
you set your timer, clean up, do whatever else you need to do, and then come back to it. Um, so if you do, you know, cut carrots, parsnips, potatoes, olive oil, you know, you know, or some sort of oil, herb, spices, and roast that in the oven, you know, about for three-fourths of the way done. So best, best way to do is take a knife, test it to see if the potatoes are done or not, and then add like a roast chicken on that top. Um, or, you know, having that going and then grilling your chicken also on the side. So um, the, a lot of the keys to is the, your kitchen timing. Um, mm-hmm. Like, and it's probably a big question two people have. It's like, oh, when is this done? When should I start it? What should I do first? Um, things like vegetables, uh, roast, especially root vegetables that are roasted, can sit for a while and they take some time. So then you can do other things. Um, so for me, when I'm cooking, I definitely put those in first, and then go out and grill, and then that lets my meat rest um, before even the veg, the, the the starches are done. Um, so I think it's important to uh, to realize how long things are going to take. Um, and that's, you know, in batch cooking, that's why, you know, cook a ton of rice, put it in bags, put it in your freezer, take it out. Um, that's for me, if I was going to start doing that, I would, you know, probably grill off maybe like six or seven chicken breasts, have those going and then put those into bags. Kind of like what you were talking about, you know, kind of portioning everything out. And then, um, once I'm done, um, through my week, the only thing I would really have to cook uh, would be my vegetables that I've chopped up, and you know, onions, you know, peppers. Those are all staples mm-hmm. of everything, um, and especially if you're doing um, some other dishes, you know, having celery around too, and kind of going from there. And uh, peppers, green peppers or red peppers, yellow, any, 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 yeah, all any color. Um, you kind of want to eat your colors anyway um, to go kind of like on the nutritional side of things. So you know, you need like your reds, yellows, your greens. Um, and then it makes it more interesting too mm-hmm. when it's on your plate. It's not just like I've got white rice, I've got a white chicken breast, you know, I've got yeah. potatoes, it's all white, you know. Um, you mentioned like checking a potato for it's done. You want that knife to come out clean? Is that how you check yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it's not yeah. getting the starchy stuff on the... Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And again, those when you take it out, you do have that carryover cooking too. So mm-hmm. it's going to cook a little bit more. You mentioned this uh, in this, uh, the resting Mm-hmm. resting meat and we yeah. mentioned it with the fish and how fish is going to cook for another 10 minutes mm-hmm. but does that go for any other meat as well yeah, chicken and steak yeah it does yeah um what what's the resting process for it's basically what what happens is when you're cooking the meat it really tightens up and so what you want it to do and uh, when it's resting so the meat relaxes again and the juices go back where they need to go because if you've taken like a tri-tip off the grill right off the bat cut it you know you see all this juice run all the way out and you know it's like oh this is that's the good stuff mm-hmm. you know um but if you let it rest for 10 15 minutes um it'll relax it'll cool down the juices will go back into it so when you slice it you won't get that much um and the moisture will stay the there. moisture will stay there yeah exactly i see exactly um a challenge i always have is cooking like with bone in bone mm-hmm. bone in chicken i yeah. always undercook yeah how much more time should i be adding to a bone-in breast versus a, a boneless breast. I'd probably add another like ten minutes, okay. ten fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it always drives me insane. And I, I did it this week even. Yeah. I meal prepped. Uh-huh. I cooked. I did what I told you. I cooked. Uh, actually, I tried something new. Uh, I tried a farmer's chicken, which oh, was nice. a disaster. Ah. Um, inspired again by Whole Foods, I was like, oh, I can do that. But yeah. Then, no, I couldn't. <laughs> Not this time anyway. But then yeah. I bring it to work uh, after it had sat in the fridge, and you know. Microwave it again for another two and a half, three minutes or whatever, and mm-hmm. cut into it. And it was like, yeah, it was like still, still very clearly pink, pink, and yeah. uh, towards the bone. So I was like, eh. yeah, yeah. Um, what we do, even though if we're cooking for 10 or, you know, a thousand people, we, I think we do it like for 300 for like two, like an hour and a half. You do it for like a bone in breast for three and a half hours? Or I know, for or, sorry, like, a, like a leg. Yeah. 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 For like an hour. Oh, that makes sense. And I weigh under yeah. <laughs> 300. Yeah. 300. So it's kind of a slower cooking. And so then it, it's like the, some of the best chicken that we've, I've had. Uh, I was also cooking it too hot. Then I was like 425. 425. Yeah. So what basically with the heats on that, so it's really hot on the outside. So you'll have the layers that's, that that'll be cooked and it'll look nice and brown, but then it doesn't have enough time to get into the middle of it. So if you do it at a lower temperature for longer, it'll allow the heat to not penetrate all the way through. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Don't know why, uh, 
I didn't catch that. I didn't yeah. get that memo beforehand. Well, the thing about roasting, you know, you do want that great color, especially if you're doing like a um, like a ribeye or something like that, or the chicken. You can do it at 425, get that nice color, and then turn your oven down to 325, 300, and then let it cook the rest of the way that way. Well, I'll try that later today because okay. I was going to try and redo okay. it. <laughs> um, thanks for being here. This was fantastic. I learned a lot, well, and for- uh, I I fancy myself as as having some knowledge of all this. I certainly have enough cookbooks to uh, consider myself an, an mm-hmm. amateur amateur. Yeah. Uh, but no, this I, yeah, all these things are all are all good points, and I hope that uh, people can use this. I think they will use this and be able to say, you know, take a little bit of knowledge with them as they go to the store and try to figure these things out. Yeah, I hope so. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Great. All right. All right, everybody, as always, thanks for listening. Now, what I suggest you do for this show, if you haven't done it before, this is the one to do it. Go to the show notes for this episode, and you will see some videos that uh, Joel has put together that really demonstrate a lot of the techniques and some uh, concepts that we talked about here, and I think they'll help you get started. We'll also have good links in the in the uh, show notes to some of the equipment we talked about if you're looking to purchase some things. Uh, I'll do a disclosure right here and say that some of the links, uh, if they go to Amazon, uh, go to an affiliate page for us so that uh, if you do purchase through Amazon, we get a small commission. It doesn't raise the price of the any of the uh, equipment for you, <clears throat> but it's a, a little kickback to us as part of uh, being an Amazon affiliate. But uh, I use Amazon uh, for the links mostly because it's just easy because they sell almost everything that you could possibly imagine, and it's the easiest place to make these purchases and get them all shipped to you. So, uh, but check those out. Check out the videos from uh, from Joel too. They're great, and they give a lot of good information. Follow us at the Squad Room on Twitter and Instagram. Shoot us a five star review on iTunes, and uh, let us know what you think of the show. And uh, if you really want to talk with us, I'd love to hear from you. Squadroompodcast at gmail.com. All right. Have a good week. Stay safe. Take care of each other.